Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our substitute teaching leaders, Jacob Wearson, will be discussing Genesis chapters 43 and 44. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 43, and join Jacob as he shares truths from God's Word. Hey everyone, it is great to be with you today. Uh, As you can see, um, I've been giving my lectures from my home down in El Paso with family. Still here, we are over a year into this pandemic. It has been a crazy year. It has been just a crazy time for all of us, I know. Um, But I think what's amazing is we are still seeing that God is faithful in the midst of the bizarre year that we just had. Through the tough circumstances and the brokenness, God is still faithful. He's faithful with me here in Texas. He's faithful with us as a class in St. Louis and wherever we may find ourselves listening to this message. And today we're going to be talking about Genesis chapters 43 and 44, and we are continuing in our study of the life of Joseph. And before we dive into chapter 43, um, I want us to think about our lives and do a little bit of reflection. Uh, Do you ever have those moments in life um, that you look upon with regret and anguish? Um, Maybe you think to yourself, man, if I would have just done this differently or not said this or made that reckless choice, my life would be totally different. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have those moments at night where I have a thought that'll enter my brain about a poor decision or something that I shouldn't have said, and I will lie awake all night thinking about it. Um, See, the fact of the matter is we are fallen human beings. Uh, We all have sinned, and we have all made poor life choices, and we have hurt those who we love the most, and whatever it is, fill in the blank, we all have regretful moments. In life, um, I, if you're there today, if you feel like you are wandering from the heart of God, maybe you feel like you don't even know Christ as your personal Savior today. I come here with some hope. Um, I ask you to take heart because in today's lesson, we're going to see that through chapters 43 and 44, we are continually revealing the, the heart of God is being revealed to us that He is a God of do overs, He is a God of grace. And he brings about his will in the hearts of sinful human beings through repentance and faith. We're going to see here a man, Joseph, who has been wronged time and time again by those closest to him. He's being used as an instrument of God's working in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. We've got two divisions in Genesis 43 and 44. The first division is the God who works through life's circumstances. That's Genesis 43. And the second division is going to be the God of second chances, Genesis 44. And I think the big idea we can learn today is that even in the midst of our rebellion and cold-heartedness, God works in us to bring us to repentance and to make us more like Jesus. So let's dive in to this first division here in Genesis 43, the God who works through life's circumstances. You know, a lot uh, that we're going to be talking about today Uh, A common theme, I think, of this lesson, or one of them at least, uh, is that 
Our walk with God in Christ, that means our life after we have come to Christ in repentance and faith, after we've been born again, is really, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey that consists of repentance and continually relying on Christ and his finished work on the cross. See, the purpose of our life as believers after we have been saved, as Romans 8.29 puts it, is to conform to the image of Jesus. And we cannot conform to Jesus' image in our own strength, Right? We have the, and though we have the power of the Holy Spirit to walk as Jesus has walked, we are a stubborn people. We are prone to wander and to fall back into sinful patterns. And a main doctrine that we're going to be highlighting today is this doctrine of repentance. And repentance means to turn away from sin and to turn towards God in his righteousness. And when I talk about repentance, a lot of it is going to be in the context of its place in the life of a believer, someone who has come to Christ in faith. Um, However, we do know that repentance actually plays a part in salvation, right? Um, The call of the gospel is that the lost recognize their sinfulness and come to Christ in faith and place their trust in him. Um, And I have to note here real quick, salvation is a one-time deal. You don't get saved over and over again. Once saved, always saved. Your salvation is secure in Christ once and for all when you come to him in faith. Um, But as Christians, once we're born again, repentance still has a place in our lives. And why is that? Well, I just mentioned a second ago, we are stubborn. And if you haven't noticed yet, we still sin as Christians. Um, The goal of life as believers, as I mentioned, to conform to Christ's image, this takes time. This maturity, this sanctification process takes time. And as believers, God's goal for us is his very best. His very best for his children is that the risen son be glorified in our hearts. And that means turning from the emptiness that sin offers and turning towards the fullness and satisfaction that Christ is. This lifelong journey takes time. It takes our whole lives. See, our our eternal destiny is already secure as believers because salvation, as I mentioned, one-time deal. But maturity, maturing as believers, becoming more like Jesus— um, that's really what we're going to be up to the rest of our time here on earth. So there's the backdrop. There's some common themes, a doctrine that we're going to be exploring in today's passage. And with that backdrop in mind, I think we need to note that the bottom line of this first division in Genesis chapter 43 is that God uses life's circumstances to bring us to a point where we turn from our sin. The circumstances of life are often God's instruments that he uses in our journey of repentance. So, I think a question to ask here is, what are the circumstances that are taking place in this portion of scripture in Genesis 43 as we dive into this first division? Well, the first circumstance is laid out in verse 1 right away, and that is that the famine was still severe in the land. See, the fact of the matter is, is that Joseph's family was in a desperate spot, right? They needed food. Um, and Jacob asks the brothers to return back to Egypt to get more food because they needed more food. Uh, and Judah immediately reminds Jacob, his dad, that the brothers have to bring along their youngest brother. If you remember in Genesis chapter 42, that was the condition that Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph yet, but Joseph is telling his brothers, hey, Uh, You need to bring back your youngest brother. When you come back to Egypt, I'm going to take one of your brothers, Simeon, hold him in jail. And when you come back, bring your youngest brother and I'll release the other brother. 
Okay, so that's the backdrop. That's what's happening here. And I want us. I want a quick note. As you can see, that's kind of a desperate situation, right? They're needing food. Brothers in jail. They're going to have to bring their youngest brother with them back to Egypt. But I want us to note here because I think it says something about life and about sin and about circumstances. So sin in and of itself is arrogance. It's arrogance being lived out. And when we sin, we make an active choice against God's will, and we think we're going to get away with it. You know, our pride and our self-indulgence convince us that sin is no big deal. And it's only when God breaks us of that pride and leads us to a point of desperation that our hearts begin to soften and we start to take our first small steps back to God. And you know what? That's where these brothers are. They are desperate. And there's another simultaneous circumstance taking place here as they're grappling with the fact that they need food and that they're going to have to bring their youngest brother back to Egypt with them. Uh, Here's what is happening here in verse 6. So Israel, that's Jacob, asks to Judah, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? So what's happening there? Well, Jacob does not want, obviously, Benjamin to go with the brothers back to Egypt. If you think about it, right, he's lost Joseph. Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. There's another brother in jail, Simeon, right now in Egypt. You know, I have to think that I don't know if Jacob has too much confidence in the brothers right now. Um, and you know what? I don't, I don't really blame uh, Jacob for his disposition towards his brothers, um, we know that the brothers sold a brother into slavery into, in Genesis 37. They sold Joseph into slavery. And of course, Jacob doesn't know that. He thinks that Joseph is dead. Uh, I mentioned it before. Simeon is in jail right now. And Jacob is just not down with the fact that the brothers have to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. And we see that in verse 6. But you know what? Something interesting happens. Judah rises to a place of leadership and he responds to his dad's misgivings about this journey. So let's read in verse eight, what happens. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Um, where did this come from? Where is this strong leader of Judah coming from? This is the same Judah that we read about a few chapters ago that had this debacle with Tamar. We have not seen Judah in a favorable light up until this point. And here we see him volunteering to be, to be responsible for Benjamin's well-being on their journey to Egypt. So I have to think right here that maybe God is doing a work in Judah's heart. Something is changing. And then we read verse 14. And may God and this is Joseph, this is excuse me, this is Jacob speaking, as Jacob's gonna grant the blessing to the brothers. Jacob says in verse 14, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So with Jacob's blessing. The brothers travel on to Egypt with Benjamin along, and we encounter the next set of circumstances of this passage, and that is this great feast and the favor that is set upon Benjamin. Now, you have to think Joseph's position here. Um, If we move a few verses down, 
Um, Joseph is got to be curious. He's got to be excited to see his blood brother from the same mom, his full brother after over 20 years. One of our leaders mentioned that it's probably been about 22 years since Joseph has seen Benjamin. That is going to be quite a reunion, right? Of course, they don't know. Again, they don't know that it's going to be Joseph that they're meeting. But Joseph is curious. He's excited to see his full brother again. But there's a little circumstance that happens when the brothers get to Egypt. If you remember from chapter 42, that Joseph, as a test to his brothers, had put silver in their sacks when they were leaving Egypt. Um, And unbeknownst to them, they didn't steal the silver. The brothers didn't steal the silver. Joseph had put it in their sacks himself. And so when they get to Egypt and Joseph is telling the steward to prepare a meal for the brothers, the brothers are terrified when they get to Egypt and they encounter Joseph again, because they think that they are going to get reprimanded for the silver that they didn't steal, but that they found in their sacks. And they're thinking, oh man, we're going to, we're going to get it. (laughs) You know, we are going to get the consequence that, um, you know, they're going to think that we stole this silver. So they're terrified. They're a little nervous about what's going to happen. Not a little, they're pretty nervous about what's going to happen. And they confess to the steward that they found this silver in their sacks. And I just love what happens in verse 23. So verse 23 reads, uh, this is the steward after the brothers are confessing that they found this silver in the sack back from chapter 42. And the steward says to them, it's all right. He said, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father has given your treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Okay, so the brothers think they're going to get it, right? The brothers think that they are going to get reprimanded for this silver that they found. But you know what I love about this verse is that here we have an Egyptian reminding these guys of the grace and goodness of God. Instead of getting what they thought they were going to get, which was uh, punishment, they got the exact opposite. They were treated like kings. And I have to take a quick note. I'm going to call this a quick gospel interruption because I really think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel at work. Um, Have you ever had a situation in your life where you should have faced some consequences, maybe some punishment, but instead were shown mercy? Uh, Maybe you thought you were going to, quote, get it from somebody else, but instead the exact opposite happened. You know, I've been there a lot of times, and let me just say that if you are truly in Christ, if you have repented and trusted in Him for salvation, you are never going to truly get it. You're never truly going to get what we truly deserve. See, what we truly deserved was hell. What we truly deserved was the wrath of God, was what Christ got on that cross. But in reality, we get the exact opposite. We are totally forgiven. We have nothing to fear. We have Christ. We have been given salvation and an eternal destiny with him in eternity. And yes, that means, you know what, we're, we're going to sin and we will fail. And sometimes we might have to face the earthly consequences of our sin. And you know what? The fact of the matter is that's not going to stop until we are saved from sin's very presence when Christ returns. But you know what? Life's greatest burdens our eternal destiny, our sin, our guilt, our shame, they have been dealt with at the cross. We are truly forgiven. We are set free. And when we pass from this life, we will enter into an eternity with Christ. 
So pardon me for that gospel interruption, but I just see that this situation with the steward and the brothers being terrified that they think they're going to get punished for the silver that they found in their sacks, they get the exact opposite. And you know what? That is a great picture of the gospel because we get the exact opposite of what we deserve in Christ. If you are in Christ today and you have guilt and shame and you have fear, can I just say that those no longer have any power over you? Life's biggest burdens have already been settled. They have already been dealt with. Okay, gospel interruption over, back to the passage. So as we conclude in this chapter, as I mentioned, the brothers are confessing to the steward that they found this silver. The steward um, releases Simeon back to them and they get treated like first-class kings, right? And at this feast, uh, through the rest of chapter 43, some amazing things take place. Uh, First of all, we see that the brothers are bowing down to Joseph. This was a direct fulfillment of Joseph's dream that we read about earlier in Genesis. Um, Joseph sees Benjamin um, for the first time, and it's this really um, beautiful moment. Um, So here's Joseph. I want us to read quickly in verse 29. So as he, this is Joseph, this is at the feet, right before the feast, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. Remember, this is his blood brother. This is his full brother that he has not seen in over 20 years. And Joseph says, is this your youngest brother? The one you told me about? And Joseph said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. I just had to share that because I think that's a beautiful moment. Um, What a moment for Joseph um, to experience, to see his younger full brother in the flesh. And then we see at this feast that Benjamin is favored. He has served five times the portion of everyone else. And if you were reading this passage for the first time, I wonder if maybe you were thinking, how are the brothers going to react? You know, these brothers do not take kindly to favoritism. The last time, they, put, they sold one of their brothers into slavery in Genesis 37. We don't see that here. We see that as Benjamin gets favored treatment from Joseph, the brothers enjoy one another's company. They eat and drink with one another freely. Quite a change, I would say, from their previous behavior. You know, I'm reminded through this passage, as our lesson reminded us this past week in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and Paul writes in that portion of scripture, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? When I think about the brothers confessing about the silver in their sacks and how they're treated and with the wonderful feast and Simeon being released, it's kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's going to lead to our first principle of today, which is that repentance begins as we turn away from sin. Repentance begins as we turn away from sin. See, as I mentioned before, these are different. I have to, I have to believe that these are just different brothers, right? That these are not the same guys that we're seeing from Genesis chapter 37. We see Judah stepping up as an older brother Uh, We see the brothers being open and honest about the silver that they found in their sacks from Genesis 42. And then they're eating and drinking freely, even though one of their brothers is getting favored treatment at this feast. They're in a bit of a more humble 
perspective, a humble disposition. And I just think it's interesting, right, that life can humble even the most arrogant and the most prideful. See, God, as he did with Joseph's brothers, uses things around us, uses things in our lives to bring us to a point where we are aware of our sin, where we are humbled so that we can turn away from that sin. See, God does this in the life of a believer, not to punish or condemn us. We remember from Romans 8 and 1 that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, none. Rather, he does it because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. As saved, blood-brought brothers and sisters of the King, sin is no longer our natural disposition. We have a new life and a new nature. God can sometimes use the broken situations, not sometimes, actually God can always use the broken situations in our lives to make us more aware of our own sin and to start us back on the path of righteousness. So if you're in a place right now where you feel super far from God, you, you're a Christian, you're a believer, you, you profess the name of Christ, but you feel so far from God, have hope. Uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit more about what that looks like and the true grace of God that is found on this path and journey of repentance. So as we see these brothers in a little bit of a different light, we're seeing more humility. We're seeing them broken down. We're seeing Judah stepping up and taking the leadership position. Um, we're seeing some good things from Joseph's family. We're going to dive into the second division, and really it's another test that Joseph sets up for the brothers. And I've titled this division from Genesis chapter 44, the God of second chances. Now I know biblically speaking, that God is not just a God of second chances. He is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances to infinity, right? He gives us multiple chances because he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. Second chances, right? It's just a phrase. I thought it felt, I thought it felt right for this division. So please know that I, I understand God's mercy is vast in grace. I just think it's a fun little title for the second division. But God of second chances, and this is kind of a repeat situation here. Uh, in Genesis chapter 44. If you're reading this chapter and you thought of chapter 42 and it reminded you of the events that took place two chapters ago, you're on, the, you're on the right track because this is another test that Joseph gives his brothers. And in many ways, it's kind of a repeat test. It's very similar to what happened in Genesis 42. Um, so we've talked about repentance, right, as a way of turning away from sin. Uh, it's turning away from the path and the decisions and the actions that are in direct contrast to God's will for us. Uh, but we also need to know that repentance is not just turning away from something, but it's turning towards God and his righteousness. So what did we see in chapter 43? See, the brothers are turning, we've seen potentially they're turning away from the arrogance and the pride and maybe the jealousy and envy that we saw from them a few chapters ago. But they have to turn towards something because that's the full completion. That's when repentance comes full circle. It's not just turning away. It's turning towards something. And we're going to see that, them turning towards something in Genesis 44. So let's review what's going on in this passage. So, you know, the brothers are leaving. They've got the food. They're going back to Egypt. Uh, excuse me. They're leaving Egypt. They're going back home. Um, and Joseph instructs his steward to fill the brothers' sacks with tons of food, with silver. And here we go again, another test. Um, he asks his steward to fill Benjamin's sack with his own silver cup. 
As part of this little scheme, this little test of Joseph's, I have to wonder, why didn't the brothers just check their sacks before leaving Egypt? I mean, this just happened in chapter 42, right? This is exactly what happened. Why wouldn't you just stop and be like, hey, let's make sure that something's not in here that's not supposed to be in here, but whatever. This is Joseph's test for his brothers, and frankly, he carries out carries it out to perfection here. So, anyways, just a question that I had about this. Um, so this happens, right? The steward puts the silver cup in Benjamin's sack, uh, and the steward catches up with those brothers, right? And he accuses the brothers and saying, "Hey, you you took a silver cup. There's a silver cup missing. Um, Joseph's silver cup," and. Immediately, we're going to see Judah, again, I think, stepping up in a position of leadership as he pleads for the brothers um, for Benjamin. And he says, look, if you find a, a silver cup, we, we will become Joseph's slaves. We, we, we volunteer. We will become Joseph's slaves if you indeed find that silver cup. Now, quick pause here because there are a couple things that happened that I thought was kind of interesting in this portion of scripture. So in verses 5 and 15 about this silver cup, it's mentioned that Joseph may have used this um, cup for divination purposes. So divination is a pagan practice of seeking the future through supernatural means. It is not a biblical practice. It is a pagan practice. So maybe a question as you're reading this, maybe you're thinking, did Joseph really practice uh, divination? Um, You know, it's not really the point of the passage, but I mean, we see here right in verse 15, and I'll read it briefly. Um, Joseph says, um, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? So this is when Joseph discovers, uh, or the brothers come back, and and Joseph is reprimanding the brothers for taking the silver cup, when, of course, we know that Joseph put the cup in there. Um, So it says that verse, and you have to wonder, so was Joseph using, doing a pagan practice with the silver cup? Um, I, I don't really think that that's the case here, actually. Um, verse 15 doesn't say that Jacob, that Joseph is using divination. It says, you know, Joseph says, right, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me, doesn't say that he does it, but a man like me, uh, and who is Joseph, right? He's, he's in Egyptian leadership. He's in Egyptian uh, nobility. And it would not be strange for someone in Joseph's position, especially in Egypt, to have a cup that is used for divination. It would not be uncommon for a man in his position to have that cup. So I personally don't see that Joseph himself is using this cup for divination. And, and really, what's the what would be the purpose? God has already blessed Joseph to be able to translate dreams. Um, why why would he need to use a pagan practice? through a silver cup. It just wouldn't make sense. So I personally don't think that that's what we're seeing here. Regardless, not the point of the passage. Really, this is just a story of, or a point in the passage to highlight this test that Joseph is giving his brothers. And it adds to the environment and the seriousness of this cup being taken from Joseph and being found in Benjamin's sack. Um, and I And I think a better question to ask in this portion of scripture is what was the point of these tests that Joseph was giving his brothers, right? What was the real reason as to why Joseph kept putting a silver cup in their bags? He was, you know, he put the silver in verse 42. What was the point of all this charade? What, what was the point of all this? And I think one uh, biblical co- commentator puts it well when he says that jo- though Joseph loved his brothers very much and desired to be reunited with them, he didn't assume that their hearts had been totally changed from all those years ago. 
uh, he had to see that they had turned away from their sin, that they had turned towards righteous living. And really, I think Joseph is being used by God in this circumstance to develop genuine repentance in the hearts of these brothers. God is using Joseph in his brothers' lives. So, I think that's a better question to ask. And what do we see as a result of Joseph's tests? Are these brothers truly changed? We saw again, they're turning away from chapter 43. They're turning away from maybe their arrogance and their envy and their jealousy, but full repentance is turning, turning towards something. So what are they turning towards here in chapter 44? Well, I think the short answer of whether these brothers are truly changed, I really do think, yes, the answer is yes. I do think that their hearts have been softened. Um, we saw that in Genesis 43, and we continue to see this in Genesis 44. And where do we see specifically that these brothers are taking steps, steps towards God, steps towards righteousness? Well, again, Judah, uh, in the middle of chapter 44, becomes our unlikely protagonist here. Um, and in verses 18 through 29, so you have this experience, right, where the steward catches up with the brothers, bringing them back to Egypt, and Joseph is confronting them about this silver cup that was, or the cup that was found in their, in their sacks, and he's confronting them, right, head on. And Judah steps up, and I think it's really a fantastic moment where he steps up to, to Joseph, and he really recounts the circumstances of Genesis 42 uh, in verses 18 through 29, right? He talks about how their father, Jacob, had been heartbroken at the loss of one of their brothers, uh, and, and that was Joseph. And Judah is saying that, look, we don't want to put our father through more loss. We cannot bear to witness our dad going through this sorrow and brokenness all over again by losing another son. We just can't do it. Because remember, the silver cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Um, And this all comes to climax, I think, in verse 30, in verses 30 through 34. So let's read the conclusion of chapter 44 here. And verse 30 starts out, so this is, Judah talking with Joseph, and he's basically pleading on behalf of his brother Benjamin. The silver cup was found in his bag, and he's pleading on behalf of Benjamin here. So verse 30 starts with this. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. He's recounting, right, that Jacob is going to be heartbroken at losing another son. He just can't take it. And Judah cannot bear the thought of seeing his father in that place again. In verse 31 continues, Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. And Judah continues to say, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. So Judah is revealing his concern for his father, for Benjamin's livelihood, and he offers himself up as a slave for Joseph. It's funny, right? Um, A few chapters ago, we saw Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. 
now his brothers, particularly Judah, is pledging himself as a slave to Joseph in place of Benjamin as a substitute. It's quite a change. And you know what? I wonder if this is a nod towards a future coming descendant of Judah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be a substitute for humanity. Well, this is a change. This is a transformation. And as this is taking place, chapter 44 ends on a cliffhanger. So we're going to have to find out what happens <laughs> in next week's lesson. Um, but as, and we were, we are going to see the marvelous conclusion and this incredible story and account um, coming to fruition in the future chapters. But for now, let's pause for this final principle. And the last principle in our lesson today is that true transformation comes from turning away from sin and turning towards Christ in his righteousness. True transformation comes from turning away from sin and turning towards Christ and his righteousness. So we saw the brothers in chapter 43. They're turning away from their wicked ways of the past, their envy, their jealousy, their arrogance, and especially exemplified through Judah. We see them turning towards righteousness. They're standing up for their family. They're offering themselves up Judah specifically, in place of another brother. That's turning towards righteousness right there. That's repentance full circle. So how do we wrap all of this up and tie what we've been talking about regarding repentance into our, into our current circumstances and where we are today? Well, again, I want us to think about this as blood-bought children of the Most High King. Um, as us believers... I mentioned before, salvation, a one-time deal. We have this new life. We've been fully forgiven. Once we are saved, we are always saved. We do not need to be born again over and over. But remember, I mentioned that this walk with the Lord is a lifelong journey. See, the fact of the matter is, is we still sin. We still make bad decisions even after we're saved. And we still long to pursue the emptiness around us rather than experience the fullness and abundance that Christ offers. And this process of maturity takes time. And the word of God assures us though, as we read in the New Testament, that God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. See, we are saved. Our eternal destiny and relationship with Christ is forever secured. But our life here on earth, now that we are saved, is all about conforming to the image of Jesus. It's about Christ being glorified in our hearts and our lives. And that takes time. And part of that sanctifying process is repentance. It's turning from sin and it's turning towards Christ. But you know, the beautiful thing about all of this is that we do not have to fear this experience, this experience of repentance, this journey. We don't have to fear the work of God that, it, that he is doing in our hearts to make us more like his son. Yeah, it's painful. It's painful to go through repentance. It's painful, painful to, be, to become aware of our sin and to have to confess that to God and to ourselves and to others. That's a painful process. Um, as we conclude, I want to share a personal story um, that happened in my life regarding repentance. And I think it highlights well the grace of God and this doctrine that we've been talking about. Uh, so I think back to a time, so I was a senior in college. Um, it was my last semester. Um, we were getting pretty close to graduation. And that really the best way that I could describe that period of my life was that I was living in sin. I was a born again Christian. 
Um, but there was this part of my life that I remained unrepentant about. You know, I thought I could hide it. As I mentioned, sin is arrogant. <laughs> it's arrogance lived out. You know, I thought I could hide it. I thought I could brush it away. I could pretend that nobody noticed. It was no big deal, but it was there. Uh, and in college, I was part of this campus ministry at my school, and the campus pastor asked me to lunch. And this was, again, we were getting close to graduation, so this was kind of like a goodbye lunch. Um, we sat to lunch. It was just me and this campus pastor. And he looked over to me, and he started to talk about something that he recently discovered and found out about, about someone, a student in our campus ministry. And he said that he found out that this individual was living in sin, in open sin, and he was shocked, and he was confused, and he was frankly disappointed. Um, and he would have never guessed that this person was struggling with something like that. Uh, you could probably imagine that at this point, my heart started to beat super fast because you know what? I knew deep down that he was talking about me. I knew exactly who he was referring to. And I thought that I was totally going to hear it from him, that he was going to chastise me. He was going to tell me just how sad and disappointed he was in me, how he was going to berate me. Um, but you know what? He didn't do that. He didn't even say that he was referring to me. Even though I knew, I knew that he was referring to me. All he said was, when he told me about, when he discovered that his, you know, one of his students was doing this, all um, he said, I'll never forget these words. He said, um, how could I look at someone any differently than how God looks at them? What is he saying there? See, God, as to us believers, even when we are living in sin and we make poor choices, he is no longer, he's not looking at us in disgust and hatred. He's looking at us with compassion and love and a desire to bring us back into his loving arms. That's mercy. That is grace. I'll never forget that lunch and I will never forget that moment uh, because that circumstance broke me down. Um, and I was totally amazed. I was in shock. I was probably like Joseph's brothers in Genesis 44 um, when, you know, they get this incredible feast, right? Or in Genesis uh, 43 and 44, right? When they're being in Genesis 43, when they're getting this feast. Um, because, you know, the fact of the matter is that is true repentance at work. That is true, the true grace of God at work. Um, I'll have to admit, though, it was a little humiliating, um, because I was getting found out, right? I was becoming aware of my sin and what I had been doing, but I did not get what I truly deserved in that moment. I experienced grace and an opportunity to turn away from my sin and to turn back to Christ. And in experiencing true grace that day, um, that's really where we are as believers, Maybe you're listening to this right now and you feel super far from God. You identify with Joseph's brothers more than you care to admit. Maybe you know God's word, you know his son, but you feel yourself wandering from his loving arms. Maybe you don't feel like you're connecting to him and his word as you once did. Can I just ask you, you have nothing to fear in this moment. Put down your weapons 
lower your guard, allow God's grace and mercy to infiltrate your heart. Because that's where true repentance ultimately begins. It's his kindness and mercy that lead us to that process and path of repentance. It may be painful. Um, as I said, it's not easy. It's humbling. Um, but the true consequences of our sin have already been dealt with at the cross. You have nothing to lose, really. Ultimately, you have nothing important to lose because you already have everything in Christ. So I'd encourage you today, maybe as you're reading these lessons and you're reading about Joseph's brothers, maybe God is leading you towards that place of repentance as a believer. And maybe you're listening to this today and you may not identify as a Christian. You may not identify as a believer. You may have never come to that point in your life where you've placed your trust in him for salvation. See, everything I've talked about today, about repentance, about full forgiveness, about restoration, those are the benefits for believers, those who have come to Christ already. But I can just say that those benefits can be for you. They can apply to your life starting today. Now is the time to turn to Christ, to come to him and to admit your lostness without him and to place your faith in him. You can do that today. Do not delay. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And what you'll find at the cross is full forgiveness, a new life, a promise of his presence, not only in this life, but in the life to come. It can't get any better than that. And I'll conclude on this final thought. True repentance loosens our grip of the empty and broken ways apart from God and leads us to a beautiful, satisfying union with the risen Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you deal patiently with your children. Lord, that even those who have wandered far from the path of righteousness, God, you call back. You call sinners to come home. Lord, I pray that for the believer listening to this who feels like they have outsinned the grace of God, that they feel so far from you right now. God, would you infiltrate their heart right now and remind them of the full forgiveness and mercy and grace that you offer so that we may turn from the path that we are going on towards the path of Christ and his righteousness. God, give us hope and grace that we so desperately need today. Lord, for the one listening who does not know you in a personal relationship, God, I pray that you would break down the walls of their heart, Lord, and you would call them to a saving faith in your son. Lord, once we are in you, there is nothing to fear. We still go through life's challenges. We go through earthly consequences. But God, the fact of the matter is the biggest consequences, the biggest burdens have already been dealt with at your cross and in your resurrection. I thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your love, and your kindness that leads us on this path of repentance. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, April 19th at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 45 through 47. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF 
or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.